0: Good evening. It's my pleasure to welcome you to this evening's gathering of Windsor Baptist. My name's Paul and I've been coming here uh, to Windsor for about the last three years with my family. If you're here for the first time I hope you'll feel especially welcome. Do introduce yourself to any of the pastors, elders or deacons and after the service there's a prayer space and prayer ministry in the hall next door so please do feel free to use that. We come together with one intention, to worship our loving and merciful God, and I hope that you will feel at ease this evening as we set aside the concerns of the day or week that's passed and the plans for the day or week ahead, be they difficult, exciting, or straightforward, and together focus our attention completely on him. To help us, I'd like to use a few words of scripture and some introductory words, which should be on the screen should you want to follow them silently in your hearts. In Isaiah we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And in Hebrews we read, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we come together to offer to God our worship, and praise and thanksgiving to confess our sins and to receive a new God's forgiveness to hear his holy word proclaimed to bring before him our needs and the needs of the world and to pray that in the power of his spirit we may serve him and know the greatness of his love let's stand to sing praise to God in the words of I'll sing the wondrous story As we come to a time of intercessory prayer, I'd like us to frame it with the uplifting words of Psalm 121, and also some thoughts on the nature of worship. Worship has been described as all that we are, responding to all that God is. While Herbert Carson described worship as the declaration by a creature of the greatness of his creator, it is the glad affirmation of the forgiven sinner of the mercy of his redeemer. It is the united testimony of an adoring congregation to the perfection of the common Lord. It is the summit of the service of the angels and the climax of the eternal purpose of God for his people. It is man's supreme goal here and the consummation of his life in heaven. Psalm 121, one of the songs of ascent, would have been sung as the pilgrims went to Jerusalem. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So let's turn to our Heavenly Father now in adoration and to ask for his help in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for bringing us together this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to give thanks and praise for who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. We look around us and see the wonder of your creation and your greatness manifested and see your ongoing involvement in creation. We glorify you and glorify your son and the wonders of your grace. We lament the times when we mar your great gifts to us. And ask for your help and guidance knowing that you will supply what we need if not necessarily what we want or think that we need we pray Lord for your blessing on the leaders and young people meeting over in the Cabin at Clay we thank you for them and pray that by your spirit you will captivate their hearts and build them up in knowledge and love of you we pray for David our pastor as he comes to speak to us later in the service Give us ears to listen to what you're saying to us through him and hearts to respond. We bring before you our requests for those who are especially in need of knowing your love, comfort and rest at this time. For those known to us in this congregation and beyond who may be going through tough times, sick or downcast or bereaved. In a moment's silence, we name them before you now. We pray for our land and the world at this time for all those in positions of authority and leadership that they would turn to you and that we would all seek to build up the common good. We pray for those who face persecution, poverty and homelessness and for those seeking to bring help. We pray that your glory may be known across the earth and ask for your spirit strength in helping us to be salt and light and witnesses to your truth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, in whom all things hold together. Amen. Let's stand together to sing two more songs, after which Richard will come and bring us the announcements for the week ahead.
1: of God has reached for No
2: It was good singing from up here, that was great. Uh, Missionary Committee meets uh, tomorrow evening at eight o'clock and then on Tuesday, Pulse are finding all about C.S. Lewis and having some lunch in number 14 at 10.30. And then in the evening, um, Create are meeting in the minor hall uh, and they're making tile coasters And then on Wednesday, Good Book Club meet in number 14 at 10.15, and there are small groups in various locations all around the city. You can find out lots of information uh, on the back wall of the church. That's at eight o'clock. Thursday, Parent and Toddler Group, number 14 at 10.15, and it says Youth Baptism Course there. That's not on on this Thursday, but if you're interested in that, um, then please see Mark. Friday, Missionary Prayer Group, 127 Malone Avenue, just across the way here at 7.30, and then there's football for those who want to play um, at Olympia at nine o'clock. Then next Sunday morning service, we are continuing with the Money Talks series that we began this morning. Uh, there's and There's in Junior Church, 10.30 down at Fane Street. And the evening service, uh, we're continuing with the Revealed series and Clay will be going on with their prayer series as well, all at seven o'clock. Uh, Spain Team 2017, if you want to find out more about that, then uh, Gordon's here this evening. But there's an information evening uh, this Tuesday. It's not at eight o'clock, it's at 730 So if you're interested in that, again, Gordon's the man to see. And you can see the actual dates of the team uh, in early July this summer. A reminder about the Wycliffe event uh, this Saturday, 25th at uh, Bally Henry Presbyterian at 10 o'clock. Dorothy is the person to see about that. And again, as I announced last week, uh, New Irish are going to try and put together uh, a youth orchestra, teenagers who play instruments, obviously. and there'll be a big concert on the 1st of April in the evening, having practised all afternoon or all day at Glen Abbey Church in Glen, in Glen Gormley. So if you uh, or your children are interested in that, then drop me an email and I'll forward you all the details about that. And finally, um, grief encounters will be starting fairly soon. And there are some leaflets I think around and uh, Alice would be the person to talk to about that. Uh, pick up a leaflet and pass it on uh, for either yourself or for a friend perhaps and bring them along. I think these are all announcements and your offering will now be received.
0: We come now to a time of Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper, which is central to our worship here at Windsor each week. It's a special time when we remember with thankfulness our Lord's death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, which restores us to new life in him, and his coming again in glory. In the words of Paul to the Corinthians, by this act of remembrance, we proclaim his death until he comes. Taking part in communion is not restricted to members of this church but it is for those who are committed to following Christ as Savior. If it's your normal practice to take part in communion, please join with us. But if you don't wish to, for whatever reason, please just pass the bread or cups along to the person next to you. Paul says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And in 1 John, we read, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come to this table because of our need of Jesus and because of the promise and hope and joy we have in him. So let's take a few moments to pray silently and then I'll ask that we sing a hymn of preparation at the end of which I'd ask the servers to come forward. Let's stand to sing Behold the Lamb. Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, on the night before you died, you came to table with your friends. Taking bread, you gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At the end of supper, you took the cup of wine, gave thanks and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who share his cup bring life to others. We whom the spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us So we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Before David comes to speak to us, let's stand to sing Thank You for Saving Me.
3: Good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you, Paul. Do you love Jesus? I know that's a pretty direct and personal, and maybe even for some people, an awkward question to ask right off. But it's an important one. Earlier we sang, my Jesus, I love thee. And then we sang the line, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. And a moment ago, as we sang, thank you for saving me, it included this line, you are my everything. And those are strong vocal expressions of love. But the question is, did they they come from our hearts or did they just come from our lips? After the service this morning, someone made the comment that we may not tell many lies, but we sing quite a few. You are my everything. Did Did that come from the heart? or just from the lips? Do we really, do I really love Jesus? Your answer to that question will will probably depend on on how you ate and drank just a few moments ago. if, If you were and if you are Aware of just how much you've been forgiven. And and remember, that is a key part of the reason for this table. To recall our forgiveness. And, And if you realize, to quote that song again, that mercy and grace are mine. Forgiven is my sin. Then your answer to that question, do you love Jesus, will be yes. Because this table and, and that song, those songs that we've sang, remind us that we have been forgiven much. We've been forgiven so much. And therefore the response, the right response, the only response is to love the Lord with with all our hearts and soul and strength and mind. And so the question is, do I? Do you? love Jesus. The story that we're about to look at from God's Word uh, is a bit of a shocker, (laughs) but it does provide a glimpse into the heart of someone who loved Jesus so much, And and they showed it. It's also a story about other people who loved a little, if at all, and they showed that as well. It's a story I mentioned this morning, if you were here. It's a story we have looked at before, exactly four years ago, actually. But it's a story that deserves and needs to be told time and time again. And the reason for including it as part of our reveal series is because what Jesus does and how he behaves and what he says graphically and powerfully reveals so much about the character of God who we are seeking to get to know better and better through this series because remember Jesus only does what the father tells him to do and if we have seen Jesus and if we see Jesus then according to Jesus we've seen the father And so as we revisit this incident, I I hope it will further fuel our worship and it will teach us to love Jesus even a little bit more. So if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. It's page 1036. Now, we're not going to read the story. I'm going to kind of tell the story. So it would be great if you could see a copy of it. So as I say, it's most of the Pew, you should have Bibles in them if you don't have one with you. So it's page 1036, Luke 7, and the story starts at verse 36. And, and the setting for this story is a dinner party. It's a dinner party that's hosted by a Pharisee called Simon. Now, now Pharisees were a strict, religious, pious sect who thought they were a cut above everybody else. They added a whole bunch of rules to the Mosaic law, and they obeyed those rules, and therefore they thought that they were right, that they were sordid, that they were better than most people. They were certainly better than rank-and-file ordinary sinners. Pharisees more or less despised ordinary sinners, and they were pretty convinced that God did so as well. And and by sinners, what Pharisees meant or who Pharisees meant were people like tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, thieves, murderers, anybody, in fact, who was not like them. Now, if you've got a Bible open, if you glance up to verse 34, it's here on the screen, you'll notice that at this stage in Jesus's life, he had clearly got himself a bit of a reputation. Word on the street was that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that he ate and drank with gluttons and drunkards. And so, people, including Pharisees, and maybe particularly Pharisees, they were talking about Jesus. And any idea or suggestion that Jesus was from God or that he was a prophet, which is what people were saying, well, as far as they were concerned, that was just laughable irrespective of all the incredible things that Jesus was doing, the very fact that he associated with these kind of people and he spent time with these kind of people, in fact, he was a friend of these kind of people, just meant that any claim that he was from God or he was, a pro- was, just, was just a joke. Pharisees didn't have a lot of time for Jesus, but they were suspicious of him, and that meant that they, they hung around with him quite a bit trying to suss him out. Luke actually names Pharisees 28 times in his gospel, and every time he names them, they are seen in hostility to Jesus. Now, although Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7 invites Jesus to dinner, and although that might seem like a positive move and gesture, it turns out he wasn't interested in welcoming Jesus, as we'll see. He was more intent on trying to trip him up. The fascinating issue here is that Jesus accepted the invite to dinner. You see, Jesus was willing and prepared to eat not just with tax collectors and gluttons and drunkards, but but he was also prepared to eat with Pharisees. And it soon becomes clear that there were other guests at this party. It wasn't a quiet meal for two. But there is a third main character in this drama. There's Simon, the host. There's Jesus, the invited guest. There's all their guests. But then there is this local, unnamed, uninvited woman who never speaks. She remains silent throughout the whole incident. Doesn't utter a thing. And all we know about her, according to verse 37, you'll see, is that she lived a sinful life. Now, that term, sinful life, is loaded. She she was a sinner. Yes, of course, she was a sinner. But it's generally accepted that this woman was a prostitute. Those of you who have got the message version of the Bible will see that Peterson refers to her as the town harlot. And therefore, her mere presence at what was probably a meal-only dinner party was in itself relatively awkward. But it wasn't just her presence that was awkward. It was what she did. And what she'd clearly come to do that was incredibly disturbing. She was carrying a jar of perfume. And as she goes and she stands behind Jesus, she starts crying. Now, because people reclined at tables in that culture, Standing behind Jesus meant she was standing over his feet. And as the tears flowed, they began to drip. They began to fall on the feet of Jesus. Jesus doesn't flinch. Don't know how many other people noticed it at this stage, but but Jesus doesn't flinch. And then the scene becomes even more intimate, even more, if you like, electric, because she bends down and she starts wiping his feet with her hair, and she starts kissing his feet and pouring perfume on them. This was intense. People in that room would have been shocked, lost for words, offended, but Jesus doesn't recoil. He doesn't draw back at all. Everyone is speechless. Although internally their minds are buzzing, and none more so than Simon the host, who according to verse 39, and this is brilliant, it says he talks to himself. He doesn't verbalize his thoughts. He can't bring himself to speak out loud. He just says to himself, look at this. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see, Simon had made up his mind about this woman, and he had certainly made up his mind about Jesus. But he keeps his condemning and judging comments to himself, or so he thinks, because it seems that Jesus knows Simon's heart and mind. It turns out you can't keep your prejudices secret even if you never articulate them to anyone else. Jesus knows what's in our hearts. Jesus knows what we think of other people. And so in verse 40, it says, Jesus answered him, which is strange, because Simon hadn't spoken to him. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon... I have something to tell you. And then in typical Jesus fashion, he tells a short story, and it's a parable. And he says, two men owed a money lender some cash. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Turns out neither could pay their debt. In simple terms, one of these men owed about a year and a half's worth of wages. The other one owed about two months' worth of wages. And then Jesus says that the money lender forgives both of the people, both of the men, their debts. And then Jesus asks a question. Now, which of the two men will love? the money lender more? And the answer's obvious. And Simon gets it, even if he is a bit reluctant to answer, but he gets it. And so he says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says to Simon, you're right, exactly. Exactly. But then the story becomes even more dramatic, if that was possible, because Jesus turns to this woman, and he looks her in the eye, and he asks Simon another question. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, of course, Simon sees her, but but not as Jesus sees her. Simon, in true Pharisee fashion, sees a category of a person, a type of person. He sees a sinner. And he's thinking to himself, as he already had thought in his own head, Jesus, do you not know the kind of woman who's touching you? Jesus, on the other hand, sees a human being. He sees a child of God. He sees beyond the boxes and the categories and the labels that other people tend to use and attach to others. And then in a series of contrasts, the woman's actions are set against Simon's. And it turns out that Simon has been a pretty lousy host He didn't even meet the basic standards of hospitality. He didn't offer Jesus any water to wash his feet. He didn't greet his invited guest with a customary kiss. He didn't anoint his head with olive oil as he was meant to have done. Whereas this woman has done all of that and then some. And then says Jesus, therefore, this is verse 47, word for word, Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But, and and here comes the dagger in Simon's heart, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, Simon's response to Jesus was measured. It was cold. As were his rather tragic attempts at hospitality. He, just like so many of the Pharisees and just like so many decent, religious, upright, relatively good people today, they didn't see their need to be forgiven. They certainly didn't see their need to be forgiven much. And therefore, their love for Jesus was negligible. best it was lukewarm. It was heartless. Whereas this woman who had clearly met Jesus recently, and she'd been forgiven by him, that's what the story implies, she genuinely loved him, passionately loved him, and her expression of that love and her loving actions were exceptional in their extravagance. Yes, she knew she was a sinner. She knew she had done so much that was wrong, that her sins were many, but she also knew that she had been forgiven, and she had been forgiven much, and therefore she loved Jesus. And don't miss this. Her her forgiveness was not as a result of what she had just done. It wasn't because of what she did that she had been forgiven. It was all because of Jesus and what he had done. He had forgiven her, as I say, hours before, days before, weeks before, months before. We don't actually know, but he had forgiven her. And therefore, her great love and her loving actions were an expression of having been forgiven by Jesus. And so she loved him so. Why? Because she had been forgiven much. And so let me ask you again: Do you love Jesus? All of us are sinners. And yet it is while we were still sinners that Christ died for us, He personally carried bore our sins in his body on the cross, to quote the Apostle Peter. And therefore, we can be, and many of us sitting here this evening, are forgiven. And we're forgiven so much. And if I realized that this evening, and if I realized it as I ate and as I drank, then the answer to that question, do I love Jesus? Yes, of course I love you, Jesus. Because because I know I've been forgiven so much that while I was still a sinner, You died for me. I love you, Jesus. And we'll want to express our love in intangible ways, won't we? Shouldn't we? Maybe ways that'll be misunderstood by others. It may even offend some people how we express our love to Jesus. But in light of our recognition at how much we've been forgiven, of how much we're loved, then we're willing, we're prepared to be ridiculed and talked about or written off. But there's another dimension to this that's worth taking on board and considering, because whenever we realize how much we've been loved and how much we've been forgiven, surely we're better placed and more likely to love and forgive others, aren't we? You see, sometimes there is a danger of comparing ourselves, and and I do this. We compare ourselves to others, and we think, well, look, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as messed up as her. I'm not as sinful as that person. And whenever you go down that particular road in your head, and I do, then there's a risk in thinking, well, in comparison, I haven't been forgiven that much. I've just been forgiven a little. But see, that person, that person desperately needs to be forgiven. God has so much more to forgive in their life than they do in mine. They have been far worse than I ever have been. But the problem with that mindset is that those words of Jesus to Simon become far more pertinent than we ever realize. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And so not only do we end up loving God and Jesus a little, but sadly we start to love other people just a little. And we only forgive other people just a little. And the story in Luke 7 ends with with Jesus confirming that this woman's sins have been forgiven. And at this point, all the guests that are in this banqueting space, they start expressing their concerns. And again, they don't express their concerns to Jesus. They're not direct with Jesus on this. Verse 49 tells us that they begin saying among themselves, who does he think he is? Who is this that is forgiving sins? The woman almost becomes an irrelevance again. Their problem now is with Jesus, who somehow claims, seems, to be claiming the authority of God because surely according to their understanding, it's only God who can forgive, who has the power and the authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus just leaves them to wrestle with that question and wrestle with that dilemma. And he turns again to the woman because she's not an irrelevance to Jesus. And he hasn't forgot about her. And he turns to this woman again who, remember, hasn't said a single thing. She hasn't spoken a single word. And he just turns to her and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we're left to assume that she did. Rejoicing in her forgiveness and rejoicing in having done something significant to express her love. Jesus, I love you because you've forgiven me. I've experienced the generous, extravagant love of God, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I could ever do, but all because Jesus, you bore my sin. It's a powerful story As I said at the beginning, it deserves to be told over and over again. But the question is, as we close, what does Jesus reveal about God in this incident? What more do we discover or what do we get reminded of about God in these verses that may cause our love to grow? Let me just give you a few things. What this story reveals to me is that God loves everyone and he associates with anyone. The morally upright, the morally suspect. You see, he's willing to eat with tax collectors. He's also willing to eat with Pharisees. And according to Revelation 3, he stands at the door of our lives, and he's willing to come in and eat with us. (laughs) What a thought. No matter how messed up you are. Jesus wants to come and eat with you. I find that astonishing. Second thing we discover in this incident, you know, with God, there's there's no hopeless cases or write-offs. Despite what other people think. No matter what kind of man or woman you are. Other people will write you off, but God doesn't. Thirdly, God accepts us individually and as individuals, and so as He looks across a congregation like us tonight, He sees you, he sees me. He doesn't just see this kind of big bunch of people. He sees you and I. Fourthly, God knows our hearts and our motives, even if we don't say a thing. See, Jesus knew this woman's heart. Jesus knew Simon's heart. Jesus knows your heart. Fifthly, God sees through hypocrisy and self-righteousness and doesn't impress him. Sixthly, God forgives a lot, much, and he gives peace. And seven, God accepts our love and our worship and how we express it, even if at times it seems a little unusual. Do you love Jesus? Depends on whether you truly know God's forgiveness. And if you do, or you want to know it better or more, then I invite you to sing another little love song. And it's a simple little love song. And it just says, I love you, Lord. And I invite you to stand with me as we close. We're going to sing a couple of songs. But I invite you to stand with me as we close and use these words to tell Jesus that you love him. Paul said at the start tonight, next door there is a prayer room available for anyone who just wants to go and sit on their own quietly and just reflect or respond. Or if you want to go in there with someone you've come with and just pray with them in the quiet, that's fine. Or if you're here this evening and you'd love someone to pray with you about anything at all, just go in there and someone would love to do that. But let me just pray as we close. God, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of reading it and reflecting on it. Thank you for the stories we encounter on its pages. And thank you for what those stories tell us about you. And God, as you search our hearts, and you know us intimately. I pray, God, that you would find hearts that are in love with Jesus. Hearts that love you so much because we realize we've been forgiven so much. And so as we go from here, I pray that we will continue to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, but also enable us to love and forgive others much. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, whom we love, amen. Thank you.